Welcome back to the Euketropolis podcast. I'm your host, James Hill. This is the final episode of season three of the podcast. In this episode, I wanted to give you something to mull over during the coming weeks because uh, I'm taking a break for the summer months here in Canada. And uh, this final episode digs into a topic that is so ubiquitous uh, that we almost um, don't notice how fascinating and uh, confusing it can be. And that topic is tuning. On one hand, we're going to talk about some very practical aspects of tuning, how to tune quicker, how to tune the intervals between the strings as opposed to the strings themselves. And then we're going to get much deeper into the tuning world. And we're going to tackle the interesting question of how it is that you can be in tune and still play out of tune. Why it is that the frets do not save you from having to tune constantly while you're playing. It's a fascinating topic and a fitting end to season three of the podcast. Let's get right into it. Here's a question about tuning, and this comes from Trey. And Trey is uh, working on many courses in Euctropolis, actually, but at the moment is um, working on his uh, Jehui teacher certification, which is the um, teacher training program that we run at Euctropolis. And Trey is um, in the first level of that teacher training program. And in that program, there are many videos of me demonstrating teaching techniques, teaching pieces, um, the exercises that I use with my students. And also there's demonstration footage of me working with classes so that you can really see these things happening in real time. And Trey is watching one of these uh, videos. And in this video, I'm tuning the instruments um, for the students. And he says, um, I wish I was good at tuning. He says, I use a tuner most of the time. Is there any comprehensive tutorial on how to tune? It sounds simple, but it's not. At least not to me, he says. I don't understand how you're walking around tuning the ukuleles so quickly for the students. Um, he says, how do, I, um, how do I get better at that? And why is it so difficult for me? <laughs> okay, well, this is a really interesting question. As usual... There's kind of a short answer, and then there's a longer answer. Um, isn't that the way, right? The shorter answer is, uh, I mean, the very, very short answer is one that Trey has already discovered, and that is just use a tuner. I mean, there, there it is. Simple as that. I mean, tuners are amazing. They just clip onto your ukulele. You play a note. It reads the note. It tells you the, the note that you're playing, and it tells you whether to go up or down. I mean, what could be finer? Um, there's a free tutorial on how to use a tuner um, on Euctropolis, and that's on the on the blog page. If you go to our blog, there's um, a video that breaks it down. And as as far as I know, it's a, it's the most comprehensive uh, tuning tutorial you'll ever need. It's got all the the basics. So there's that. You can use the tuner, but what if your tuner runs out of battery? Uh, or what if you don't have a tuner? 
Um, what are some other strategies uh, for tuning? Well, the truth is when you use a tuner, you pluck one string at a time, right? And the tuner tells you whether to go up or down on that string. But until tuners came along, nobody really tuned that way. I started playing the ukulele before tuners came along. I'm just old enough to be able to say that. Uh, we never tuned one string at a time. Nobody tuned that way because when you play a string completely out of context, you know, in a vacuum, who's really to say if it is in tune? Is that in tune? I don't know. Sounds nice to me. But then again, if I just retune it to something else and, and I pluck that, that sounds nice to me too. It just happens to not be the note that I was trying to tune to, but a note on its own is always in tune. There's no way to know because tuning is a relative concept. It's tuning, you're in tune compared to something else. That's that's the key. And so, so we would always tune two strings at a time. So I'm plucking two strings there, the first and the second. And as long as somebody had that first string in tune, uh, you know, they get that note from a piano or from a, a pitch pipe or from a tuning fork. Or if somebody had perfect pitch, they could just sing an A note. I don't have perfect pitch. Um, but I'd get it from somewhere else. You know, I'd get it from a, a, a tuning fork, usually. Once you have that one reference point, then you start tuning two strings at a time. And you move that second peg around until you hear not the notes being in tune, but the distance between the notes, the interval being in tune. This is a, I, I know this might sound a bit dry, but that's a, that's a fundamentally different way of listening, isn't it? Listening for the, the space between the notes as opposed to listening to the notes themselves. I guess it's the, di uh, the, the difference between, you know, uh, being somewhere and sort of going somewhere. You know, if you're tuning with a tuner, you're just being there. You're just on a string and you tune that relative to, well, the tuner. If you play the two strings together, you're tuning the distance between them. You're tuning the interval. It's the, it's the space between that counts. And you're listening for that to be a healthy sound, one that doesn't make you wince. That makes me wince. The, if I looked closely enough, the, the airwaves don't really line up in a pleasing way. So I have to fix it by turning that little knobby thing until it sounds better. If I turn that little knobby thing called a tuning peg, if I turn it and it starts to sound worse, then I know I'm going the wrong way. You know, in that sense, tuning is very simple. Then I go to the next two strings. I'm tuning the interval and the other two strings. The final two, 
I'm listening and I'm tuning the interval between them. I don't even have to know what the interval is. I just have to know and feel when it sounds right. And then I would always strum all of the strings to make sure I have a chord. It's the difference, I guess you could say, between sort of absolute tuning and relative tuning, at least in the approach. Um, having a tuner, an electronic tuner, promotes the idea of sort of absolute tuning, you know, uh, one string at a time. Whereas the way that I was tuning in that video that Trey was looking at, I was using sort of a, a relative approach. I'm just quickly grabbing the ukuleles, and I'm tuning about that fast, and then I would give the ukulele back. It's kind of interesting that when you tune one string at a time, you have four tasks, right? You have to tune the, the G, the C, the E, and the A. That's four things you have to do. When you tune the interval between the strings, you only have three tasks, right? The interval between the first and second, the interval between the second and third, and the interval between the third and fourth. That's, whoops, only three things that you have to do. So maybe that's one of the reasons why it looks so much faster when you see a teacher running around the room tuning ukuleles in that style, because, you know, in a sense, they have less to do. So that's sort of the, uh, the short answer. I also think that, um, sort of as a sidebar here, something we talk about a lot in the Jehui teacher training program is stealth teaching. The idea of teaching without teaching, the idea that um, not all teaching has to be explicit and in front of the class and like, hey, we're learning something now, so pay attention. There are some really important lessons that can be learned sort of almost subconsciously almost by osmosis. And when you're tuning ukuleles, it's one of these moments, uh, one of these opportunities for stealth teaching. And uh, what I mean by that is not only are students hearing you tune and they are hearing these intervals come into alignment, but every teacher that I know uh, who's worked in the classroom always has their little tuning riff. Do you, do you know what I mean? Do you have a tuning riff? Even if you're not teaching in the classroom, uh, do you have a little riff that you play after you tune? Um, Peter Luongo's was something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but uh, every time he would tune uh, one of our ukuleles uh, in the Langley Ukulele Ensemble, he would grab it, he would tune quickly, and then he had this little riff it was something like that. I have to check with him exactly what it was. I always thought it was like a little tiny snippet of uh, uh, Never on a Sunday. Because that was one of the songs we used to play. And he would play that dozens and dozens of times a day. And we would hear it. We would hear it over and over and over again. And as he would do that, I mean, I remember watching him. I, I I must have seen him play that little riff a thousand times. And I, you know, as a young player, I would think to myself, huh, I didn't know you could play chords in the middle of the neck. 
hmm, I should try that sometime. You know, and the 200th time I saw him do it, I thought, yeah, what is that chord that he's playing there? It looks like he's putting his finger straight across on the fifth. You know, I'm only like 10, 12 years old at this point. Oh, it looks like he's doing this. And, you know, by the 500th time that, I've, that I had heard this little riff, I thought, oh, he's kind of shifting up there with the pinky. Ah, that must be one of the chords. And slowly but surely, I'm actually picking up the little tuning riff that he's playing. Uh, and I learned something from it. I learned a couple of chords that I might not have learned otherwise. So it's a small thing, but, you know, all these little tiny touches when we're teaching are important. They all add up um, for the students. So if you don't have a tuning riff, <laughs> I would encourage you to get one. Um, I often use the theme song from the Euctropolis podcast. I'm, I'm not joking. This is not just product placement here, but that theme song from Euctropolis. It's really easy to play. You can really hear if the ukulele is resonating and students get a sense of, whoa, uh, I didn't know you could play chords up there on the seventh fret. Maybe I should try that sometime. Just don't make your tuning riff longer than about three seconds because <laughs> you're going to have to play it like, you know, 10,000 times a year. So don't make it too long. Just make it a little noodle. And then you give the ukulele back to the student. So there you have some thoughts on how it is that some people seem to be able to tune kind of by magic, uh, even if like me, you know, uh, they don't have perfect pitch. There are still ways to um, get better and faster at tuning and also use it as a, as a moment to inspire students. Now, that, believe it or not, was the short answer. The longer answer, or at least the follow-up discussion, is something that I rarely talk about because it's, it's hard to talk about. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to give it a whirl here. I'm just going to give it a try. The concept carrying on from this tuning discussion is about tuning to the song. Tuning to the song. What do I mean by that? Well, where do I start? <laughs> here's the, here's the catch-22 of tuning. Does that make it a catch-22? I don't know. Dad joke. The catch-22 of tuning is that you can be in tune and still play out of tune. I know. It's not great. You thought that those frets were going to be there for you always. You thought the frets were always going to make sure that you played in tune, that you didn't have to worry about intonation. And unfortunately, that's not the case. And it's because, well, in the system of tuning that we use in, in uh, Western music, I guess we decided a few hundred years ago that we wanted to play in different keys. And so even though things don't always work out, um, we made everything equally out of tune in order to be able to modulate through different keys. We wanted to be able to go... 
we wanted to be able to move around that circle of fifths and through harmony and and the music of Bach and the music of Beethoven and and so many others that really push the limits of our Western understanding of harmony depend on this ability to move through keys. Never mind jazz, which also depends on this ability to move through different key centers. So, okay, we want to be able to do this. And not all cultures in the world decided that they wanted to do that. Um, There are many, many beautiful musical traditions out there that do not have a sense of harmony and modulation the way Western European music does. Um, And so we sort of made this deal with the devil that said, we'll let you move through keys, but you have to play each key a little bit out of tune in order for it to work. Okay, we said, we'll we'll sign that contract. We'll do the deal. Uh, and so that was how uh, uh, Equal Temperament was born. The issue with Equal Temperament is that we still long for those perfect intervals, the ones that just acoustically feel good to the body. Intervals that are perfectly bell-like. And we still call those intervals perfect intervals. So the perfect fifth, the perfect fourth, and the perfect octave. We don't accept anything that is not perfect from those intervals. They have to be perfectly bell-like. But there are other intervals in our Western music that have sort of wiggle room, where some people don't mind them being a little sharper, some people don't mind them being a little flatter. So let me give an example to try to make sense of this thing that's so hard to talk about. Let's take a C chord. The single most common chord on the ukulele. I've just tuned my ukulele. And this C chord is sounding pretty good to me. I'm listening for the perfect intervals between the C and the G. That bum bum da 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 dee dum. That interval, a perfect fifth, has to be right on the money. I will not accept any irregularity in that interval. It's, it's got to be right, that one. And the interval from the C to the C, the low C to the high C. That perfect octave. I also feel that that one has to be perfect. The, the, uh, the sound waves have to line up perfectly in a perfect ratio so they don't get that, um, that beating sound. Like when one person has their window down in the car and it's going like that. When things are out of tune, that's the feeling that you get. You get like that. The waves have to line up perfectly for perfect intervals. Fine, okay. So that deals with the the G, the C, and the A strings. But what about the E string? That E string, it turns out, is like the loose tooth in the C chord. (laughs) 
okay? Every, every, once you really start to look at this microscopically, it's a fascinating world, just like, oh, I don't know, looking at anything through a microscope. This E note on the E string, that is the loose tooth. It is the note in the chord that has some wiggle room because it gives us the, the, um, the minor sixth interval and the major third interval. Now the thirds and the sixths are the intervals that have the wiggle room. Let me try to prove my point. If I take that E note and I tune it down just a little bit. I'm going to tune that down. It's not like an E flat. It's just a little lower than an E. That's, that C chord can still sound in tune. If I tune that up a bit, that C chord can still sound in tune. Even though I've changed that E note by about, I would say, uh, 10 cents. Uh, th those are the, the very, very microscopic um, measurements that we use to uh, measure distances in music. There are 100 cents between one fret and the next. So I haven't changed that E by very much, but it's like a, a tenth of a fret. The difference between this and this and that. You can hear that there's a difference. And yet, both of those, the low third, the low E, and the high E, can still sound okay. Okay. So, there is wiggle room in, the, in that C chord. And if the song that I'm playing uses a lot of C chord, I'm going to want to make sure that that C chord is really to my taste. I personally favor a lower, uh, a lower pitched E note. So if I sort of put it right where I like it, I get that sound. I like that. Mm, I'm very kind of a, like a low E kind of guy. That's fine. Good. Done. Right? I wish. Now that I've got my E string just where it needs to be for the C chord, just where I like it, knowing that the, the E note in the C chord is a little bit of, uh, you know, a bit of a gray area. We can go up or down a little bit. Now that I have it exactly where I like it, what happens when I change to a different chord? Say, I don't know, A. If I change to an A chord, do you hear that? That A chord now sounds very out of tune. To me, that's just like all of a sudden somebody's wound down one window on the highway and I'm hearing yuh, 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 yuh. This A chord sounds ill. It sounds sickly. It does not sound healthy. And yet I just tuned so that my C chord was perfect. And this is the problem. <laughs> and this is why you can tune perfectly and still play out of tune. This is the frustration of the way 
I don't know, the universe works, you know, physics. Why doesn't everything just work out perfectly so that we can play in any key we want and still be perfectly in tune? Why can't every interval always sound clear as a bell? And if I want to modulate from C to the key of A, why can't I do that? You'd think that with all the beauty in the universe, that I should be able to do that, right? I remember talking with my friend John Cavanaugh about this, and we were having the same discussion, saying, why shouldn't it be perfect? <laughs> why doesn't it work out? And he said something that I never forgot. He says, why doesn't the diameter of a circle fit exactly three times around the outside of the circle? Why is there that little remainder, 0.14, etc.? Why isn't pi 3? He said it's the same reason why tuning doesn't work out perfectly for every chord in every key. The reason is it just doesn't. <laughs> and there's a kind of a beauty to that too, right? The sort of uh, the beauty of imperfection. And you just have to kind of get used to it. There are two ways that we compensate for this. Oh boy, that A chord is so out of tune. And when I put it back in tune, ah, fix the A chord, and now we'll go back to the C chord. And now the C chord's out of tune, honestly. This is just like playing whack-a-mole. I get one, but then the other one comes out of tune. I get that one, and the other one goes out of tune. I get that one. It's an impossible task. So, what do we do? Well, we look at the song. We say, what are the most important chords in this song? If the song is in the key of A, and I'm going to be playing the A chord 75% of the time, well... You better believe I'm going to tune so that A chord is perfectly in tune. If I'm playing the key of C and most of the chords are C, well, I'm going to make it so that that C chord is perfectly in tune. If I'm playing something like Rocky Mountain, Rocky Mountain, Rocky Mountain High, when you're on that Rocky Mountain, hang your head and cry. It's mostly C the whole way through. F gets a little bit of a moment, and G just gets a peep, and then it's gone. I'm going to tune to the C chord, not just to my tuner. I'm going to tune to the key so that the chords that are the most important in that song are the ones that are perfectly in tune to my ear. And guess what I'm going to do for the others? Even if, even if the G chord now sounds a little wonky, I am going to use the superpower called vibrato. <laughs> I'm going to wiggle that chord. Literally, I'm just going to wiggle my fingers, give it a little warble, and hey, it's only, it's only in play for two beats. Hang your head and cry. You know what? It's a workaround, but it's sometimes what you got to do. You tune for the chords that are the most important, and you make the most of the chords that don't quite fit into that tuning 
Vibrato is a great way to do it. Uh, sliding is another way to do it. Uh, bending one of the notes uh, under your fingers so that it so that the chord tunes itself. People ask me, how often do you tune your ukulele? And I think they expect that I'm going to say something like, oh, well, you know, once every couple of days or, uh, you know, or maybe they think I'm going to say, um, well, I tune it whenever it goes out of tune or, or something. Or I tune it, you know, three times a week or I tune it right after breakfast. The real answer to how often do you tune your ukulele is about as often as you look in the rear view mirror when you're driving. Like every four seconds? That's how often I tune my ukulele. Every chord, I'm listening, and if I have to push one string to get a little change in that one note to bring the chord in tune... I'm going to do that, or at least I'm going to try. If I'm not sure which note is out, I'm going to wiggle. <laughs> okay, I'm constantly tuning while I'm playing. Tuning is not just a thing where you tune with the tuning pegs. It's an ongoing uh, state of being. <laughs> we are constantly tuning when we're playing in order to get the uh, the resonances that we want. So... That is the longer answer. Trey, I hope that's helpful. I'm sure it's more than you bargained for. Hopefully there was some practical stuff in that uh, answer, but also some bigger picture stuff that helps you understand uh, what you're up against and also what the opportunities are when it comes to tuning. Trey, thanks for the question, and uh, Yukon. Thanks for tuning in to the Yuketropolis podcast. This was the final episode of season three. Stay tuned and stay subscribed for news about season four of the podcast. And in the meantime, you can always find me over at yuketropolis.com. I'm there helping students every day to learn more about the ukulele, to discover new styles of music, new techniques, and just to be part of a community of other people who love ukulele and who are improving their skills on a daily basis. So head over to yuketropolis.com. We have lots of free lessons and even some free courses to get you started. I look forward to working together. And until then, take care and keep on strumming. <laughs>